When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. another episode of the good music podcast i'm lucas i'm grant and i'm ethan and welcome to the show everybody make sure that you're subscribed we have new episodes coming out every monday if you've been around for a while and you have an artist you'd like us to talk about let us know by messaging us on facebook and instagram and lastly if you are not a patron yet make sure to go down and become one you get uh, episodes early and access to our um bad music podcast where we talk about the six worst songs from the artist that week which brings us to, Lucas, who do we have the pleasure of talking about this week? So we are returning to an artist that we have already done an episode on. That's what we do on the first episode of each month. And um, we are returning to Muse whoop, whoop. in honor of the 20th anniversary of their landmark record, Origin of Symmetry. Only 20. Only 20. Wow. Muse, Muse is a relatively new band that uh, they formed in uh, 94. And oh, when they were like just young teenagers. And first record came out in 99. And then uh, this record came out in 2001. Wow, uh, this record's as old as me. Yeah, June 18th, 2001. Whoa. So what was what really brought my attention to specifically talk about this record is that Muse just released a remixed version of this whole record. Oh, that's okay. And not just like, like how you get the remasters Uh and it's just like, Oh, it just sounds a little better. Like the entire record has been completely overhauled, but without re-recording anything, everything was just done at the soundboard. That's awesome. Like, like, style? I mean, like, they didn't change anything about the structure of the songs. They didn't Uh, add, again, they didn't add anything in that wasn't there before. Rather, it's, it's just saying that it's been remastered is understating how much the sound of this album has changed. So it's like a true definition of remixed. Yes. Nice. And it's very interesting. There's certain songs on there that I'm like, uh, eh, the original's better, but then there's other songs on there that I'm just like, this song just became a ton better. How did you rank the songs with this new um re- remastered version of the record? 
Um, I went with whatever I thought was the best version. That's fair. And at the time that I made the ranked playlist, when I was doing the research for this episode, the remix album hadn't come out yet. Mm-hmm. But they had released a couple songs earlier, and there was one song in particular uh, that they did a remix of called Megalomania that I never liked on Origin of Symmetry, just mainly because I felt like it didn't sound right. And mm. hearing the remix version, I'm just like, oh my god, I understand this song now. This is an incredible song. And so when I did the Rage playlist, I was like, I gotta do the remix version instead. So, and eventually when we do another Muse episode, I'll go back and do like a proper like readjusting of the list with the remixes and where they should be. So something I think that would be very um, beneficial to you guys is you should listen to both versions and see which one you like better. Yeah. Mm. I'm kind of already, I'm kind of already tending towards that. Yeah. Action. Uh-huh. Cause I'm someone that loves origin of symmetry the way it is just because it's a very nasty sounding record. Mm-hmm. Um, a little a little history about this record. So this is their second album. Um, for those of you that don't know, Muse is literally just three guys from England. Um, Matt Bellamy plays uh, guitar, does all the keyboards, and also is the lead singer. So he's like a superhuman, mm-hmm. the, and he's like the main songwriter. So it's it's really Muse is his band. Because he's just, he has such a strong, he plays all the lead instruments and writes. <laughs> but that doesn't, that doesn't uh, uh, overshadow the. Oh, no. He's got maybe one of the best rhythm sections in rock history. Yeah. With uh, Chris Wolstenholm on bass and Dominic Howard on drums. Right. We, Which, have, by the... we have another Muse episode. Yes. I will we discuss that for those who don't are unfamiliar with Muse and want to get a good intro, check out that episode. By the way, if you ever want to watch a, a true lefty drummer playing that actually plays on a left-handed drum kit, you should watch Dominic Howard play. Very mind-bending. I didn't know that wasn't already a thing. Yeah, so he plays the way that Ian Pace from Deep Purple plays, where everything on the drum set is actually flipped around. You mean left, left-handed drummers don't normally do that? Oh, no, they usually play open. They usually play open-handed. So they're... they're oh, uh, okay, okay. What, what makes it weird is usually you can be left-handed, but almost everyone kicks with their right foot. Mm-hmm. It's weird to have someone that is left-handed and prefers their kick drum to be their left foot. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's just it doesn't happen very often that you see a left-handed drum kit, but Dominic Howard plays one. Okay. And he plays it really well. (laughs) Um, So Showbiz came out in 99. That was their first record. It's a record that I have to say, after researching this episode, has grown on me a lot. Still a very... um, it's a very raw record in the sense of you can tell that 
a lot of the Muse elements are actually really fully formed on the first album. They just haven't figured out how to use it all correctly. Mm-hmm. It's not an al- a debut album where you listen to and you're just like, I don't even recognize them. Mm-hmm. Like as soon as you mm-hmm. hit play, you're just like, this yep. sounds... It's, it just that, it's just that the songs aren't that good. Does yet. their first and second... Is there a big disparity between their first album and second album? Yes. I mean, the, the jump from Showbiz to Origin of Symmetry is gargantuan. Um, the thing that was interesting about them is that you think of Muse now. They're a mostly international band, and America is actually one of the places that they're least popular right now. Just because rock in general is just not in popularity. It hasn't been for the last, like, 15 years. Right. Um, they're much bigger in England and South America and pretty much every other part of the world. But at the time that Showbiz came out, rock and roll like that was not in vogue in Britain. That was in the middle of the Britpop movement. So if you didn't sound like Oasis, you were not <laughs> looked kindly upon. And in America, hard rock was very big at that time. And so uh, the first record actually did fairly decent in America. And they kind of had to go back and win their home territory. And then, like, very soon, it flipped to where America was very, you know, oh, rock's not cool anymore. It's all pop and hip-hop and and all that. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, and rock really had a rebirth in just about every other part of the world. And so, when Origin of Symmetry came out, that was kind of like their first big home record. And it was on Origin of Symmetry that they kind of became known. And and then Absolution was kind of the third record. That was kind of like the big crossover moment where they were like okay these guys are headliners you know this is a this is a truly great landmark album but origin of symmetry absolutely set them up for that and as time has gone on origin of symmetry has become the cult favorite of all of the muse fans it it seems to me that origin of symmetry is very very experimental very first wave prog in uh philosophy and i guess like from what they wouldn't consider themselves it doesn't seem like they continued that no they've always had prog elements to them it's just that's always been part of the muse sound um i mean you just you know look listen to something like knights of sidonia or um or reapers or United States of Eurasia. It's just like this is this is not a band that's just going to write a normal pop or rock song. Yeah, they're a band that's going to push uh, into new sounds. So yeah, absolutely. It's you know they're going to be experimental, but there is an extra level of experimentalness in Origin of Symmetry. You can tell that it's a that they're a band that has really discovered the power of the studio for the first time, mm-hmm. and they're going to use it 
full potential. As well as it was at this point that um, classical influences really started to creep into their songwriting. In particular, Matt Bellamy, who not near enough is said about his incredible piano skill. Right. He's all people always talk about his singing and his guitar playing because that's what he does the most. But the time mm-hmm. he sits down to the piano, he does some truly incredible things. Right, right, and he does he does a lot on this album. I mean, we talked in our first episode, of the United States of Eurasia. There's that piano. I mean, second half of the song is essentially just a piano solo. Yeah, it's a it, well, it's a um, it's a performance of a uh, of a Chopin piece. Right, and it's like your casual pianist is not going to know how to play Chopin. No. You know? Or Chopin, or Chopin, or however you want to pronounce it. Not Chopin. Don't even... Hey, hey some, some people, you know, they just... They if just, we haven't talked about it on music history, I don't know how to pronounce it. Maybe they're it, not musically, you know, the we'll most talk, literate. We'll talk about him when we get to the Romantic period. But, yeah, it's it's just... Well, he's classically trained. Oh yes, absolutely. Okay, so you don't, you don't you don't you don't learn to play that way just by tinkering around on the piano, right? His composing skills are really good on piano too. It's like his songwriting ability comes through a lot on the piano as well. Yeah, it it's kind of um, going to be inevitable that we compare them to Rush, but. Matt Bellamy is the what he does with the piano. I think is a step above what Getty did with keyboards because when Rush went to their through their keyboard phase, it was kind of you know what cool sounds can we you know color up our songs with, which is like yeah. that's good. Like that's a it's good mostly thing. it's mostly pads and right. textures, and that's like that's an okay angle to come at it with. But the stuff that Matt Bellamy does, it's like a whole. It's like a performance piece. It's like a proper like you would you can think, have that be the center of attention. You would think that he did nothing but play piano his entire life. <laughs> and then and then you so would think the exact same thing about him on the guitar. Because he's I, such an incredible guitar player. It's like he had to have been a prodigy. Oh yeah. He he's he is a musical genius. You just yeah. you can't be that proficient at two instruments like that. And he's got that vocal range too going forward. Yeah. He's got oh. the real trifecta. Yeah. So really you could say that Origin of Symmetry perhaps is when Matt Bellamy really felt comfortable with what he could do. That for the first time he saw what he was capable of and was just like, okay, I'm going to fully unleash everything that I've learned up to this point. So what really I know we said that the first album and second album were starkly different, but like in what tangible ways and and why do you think that the first and second are so different? The Well, first off, the songs are just better. Mm-hmm. They're easy um, comparison to make. Yeah. Um, you just, you listen to the, the quality of the songs on Showbiz and there's rarely a song on there that you're just like, this is a truly brilliant song. It's more of this song has some really cool ideas and I see what they were going with it, but it doesn't really work. 
Ken sucks. You can more appreciate the song rather than legitimately enjoy it. Yeah. But also, I would say that again, there's not really any songs you listen on there and you're like, bad song. Yeah. It's just, it's again, it's, you can tell that 19 and 20 year olds wrote it. Really? We're not, really gonna, we're not necessarily going to see any of that on a bad music podcast. No. Later. No. That's good. Well, where, what, what album do you have bad music is uh, of bad songs? It's really the majority of it is B sides. Oh. Uh, so a, a lot of non-album stuff. They were a singles band? M- mm, from like 98 to 07, they were. Hmm. That, like, what... They would, they would release a single and it would have like three unheard songs on it. Why did they... Why did they do that and then why did they move back? Uh... Like, why did they release singles and then stop? Why, yeah, why'd they move to do the singles and then why'd they move back? Um, I mean, that was just, that was still kind of the thing to do back then. Mm. And it, especially when you were kind of in the underground, like, look at Coldplay. Coldplay has so many B-sides to just these random singles that they would release. I'm finding that that was just a thing to do when you were in the alternative uh, genre is just that you have you over record and then when you s- release your single, I mean, people still release singles to the whole idea of a single is it's what you put on the radio. Right, right. But you're making it sound like that's all they did. It's not all they did. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, obviously, had albums. Yeah in between the singles yeah, I, I thought that it was just like oh from 08 or from 98 to 06 they just released singles no okay no they were they released a lot of singles but they also released records and just a lot of their worst songs are just all of those throwaway songs that didn't make it onto the record that they just stuck onto those singles as b-sides i mean that's kind of what you do unfortunately sometimes no, but I think there's only one album song in the bottom six. Well, and even then, it was it was because it was a very experimental piece yeah. that I just don't think they quite nailed. The Muse, Muse was experimental, even when it falls flat, still kind of cool. Yeah, Muse was one of the first groups that I ever saw live. Yeah, wow. I would. I think same because I saw them on the Resistance tour, and that would have been pretty early in my concert going years. At the, at the BOK, that was the se- that for me that was the second time that I saw them. So yeah, they, they came to the BOK on. Um... It was in like 2013. Yep. Yeah, because it was on the it was the second Law tour, and I was yeah, at was. early up at the front, the very front. I remember you telling me that. Yeah, I was up in one of the the boxes. Eric Scarborough got Dom Howard's drumstick, and I was yeah, so... Yeah, he did. Yeah, he did. I was so mad at him, because I literally got within breathing distance of him. <laughs> he get, And Eric was standing next to me. And I was just like, he doesn't even play drums! Well, you guys have both seen them live, and obviously there's, like, plenty of recordings 
that are all over, you know, VH1 and stuff. But oh. like, what what were they like live? Oh, live? incredible! They might be even better live than in the studio. They're one of those kinds of bands where it's just it's an insane level. And what's really cool is that a lot of the showbiz and origin of symmetry stuff they don't really play live anymore they'll pull as a interlude jam section Ooh, that's kind of like, cool but instead of having dead space between songs they'll just like do this heavy metal jam session for like 30 so that's like that's like you'll they'll finish like super massive black hole and then you'll just hear the intro riff to citizen erased and they'll play it for 30 seconds or you'll hear um, you'll hear the the main riff to hyper music or um, or cave or just a lot of those early songs that just have these incredible metallic riffs. Yeah, they'll just steal the best part of it and use it as an, as a way to get from one song to another song. Uh huh. Like, like a little bit of fan service without being too yeah. fan servicey. Yeah. Yep. Just like a little nugget for like, you know, because like the, the just the normal fan will just be like, oh, this is a really cool jam. But then like the diehard fans are be like, I know what they're playing. Mm-hmm. And a lot and they'll even do a lot of stuff from like those B-sides, those forgotten well, sides that that maybe have some cool riffs tucked away on them. They'll pull them out for those kinds of moments. That oh, I, remember that. Cool. It was, I think it was the loudest concert I've ever been to. Oh yeah, it was loud. It was really like I left it. I like I literally remember leaving and being like, "That was probably a little bit too loud." <laughs> the one, the only time I ever felt that way was when I left my Slayer concert. <laughs> that was good. That was that was the moment I was just like, I think I I think I overdid it there. <laughs> I like to- I remember leaving. I was kind of like I might have like lost a little bit of my hearing because of this show. Yep. That's how I felt after Slayer. <laughs> I need to go and get my ears checked. But no, anyway. I'm, I'm going to wear earplugs next time. I can't do that again. Yeah. Yep. Um. Anyway, so yeah, Muse Live is is a true experience, and I hope to see them again someday. But yeah, Origin of Symmetry is really where everything really starts to come together it's when they really went out on their first big tours and really developed themselves as a live group um you can really feel the songwriting comes together the um the boldness in the composition the um you just you feel muse really become muse yeah it's it's very and the reason why I didn't use anything from this from our first episode is that it's not necessarily an easy album to listen to. It's not an absolution or a black holes of revelations where it's just full of of great some like pop songs, which those albums have, mm-hmm. where it's it's less in your face heavy rock and roll and more like catering to a mass audience. Like Origin of Symmetry is a hard record. Yes. I was I explained it to you guys earlier. It it grabs you and does not let go. Yeah. For the entire runtime. 
occasionally you'll get brief moments of oh oh god okay i'm okay and then immediately it just it throws you back into the mosh pit it literally like it's like your it's like your ears are in a mosh pit listening to this record it's just getting the the crap beat out of them yet but you're in an awesome way yes but at the same time you're like oh yes please give me more uh this album is a drug you yeah literally the experience that i have listening to origin of symmetry it's 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 like this this uh this punishing experience where you're listening to it and you just you you start to get to the point where you think you can't take anymore and then they give you something even more and you're like oh that was awesome <laughs> but oh my god i'm getting exhausted yeah. It's just it is a it is a onslaught of a record. But you're, you're saying you're saying words like oh, I can't take anymore. Oh, I'm exhausted. Like the words you're saying are bad and yet you're talking so positively about Yes, it. because man, to uh, to to successfully pull off a record that makes you feel like that and yet makes you want to keep listening. The only other record that I've ever listened to and it's funny that kind of before we started recording, you said this, Grant, is Slayer's Rain and Blood. Yeah. Where it's just you feel like you can't take anymore, but yet every single moment is just, is just topping the previous one. Right, yeah. I, like, I, oh, oh, okay, okay. I, I need some more. I know. I was listening through that, like, the full way through for the first time earlier today and I was I was thinking that way. I was thinking like this is great, but this is like it was almost like a guilty pleasure. Yeah. But I don't know if that fully describes it. It's just one of those things I don't think you really can describe. No. It's 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 enjoyment through blunt force trauma. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's it's like how some people really enjoy um, like really putting their physical limits to the test. Uh-huh. And it's like people get a real kick out of like, oh, I climbed this mountain in, you know, a certain amount of time and it's this certain height and I'm carrying so much on my back. And it's like you can't take it anymore, but every step is just another uh, another little reward. Yeah. Sounds like you guys are just describing S and M. Really? Okay. Well, <laughs> maybe. Okay. maybe. Well, the album, maybe not. <laughs> I, I would think that the uh, S and M, the album, is actually not exactly as punishing as Rain and Blood. We're gonna keep it family friendly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah that's just origin of symmetry is is not for the casual listener like Mm. i guarantee if if i had my wife sit down and listen to origin of symmetry she would turn it off after two songs and just go i can't listen to this anymore because it is not an album i didn't feel like it was that polarizing whenever we were listening to it 
Well, no. may, maybe you're just used to that kind of. I didn't think that either, but I really love experimental stuff. But also, I did kind of alter the the runtime, the or the run order uh, order because I I kind of wanted to make it a little more um, endurance friendly. Because again, we're, I want to I want to try and convince some people that haven't listened to this record before to give it a chance. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the way that that uh, album is sequenced, it is just it is brutal. You don't get really a a calming moment until that that moment in Citizen Erased. Yeah, that's like, like halfway through. That's halfway through, and then and then immediately it goes to microcuts. Like you've got, you've got one, two, three on this album. You've got newborn, bliss, and space dementia. Just, I mean, what a what a one, two, three <laughs> salvo, and then hyper music comes on after that, which is maybe the most intense song that they've ever made. When the whole, when the entire chorus is, you know that I don't want you and I never did. I don't love you and I never will. And he's screaming it. It's just, and then plug in baby right after that. And then citizen array and then micro cuts. And it's just like, at that point, your brain is almost turning into soup. (laughs) <laughs> and thankfully, the first ballad of the of the album comes on with Screenager, but it's still really dark and really creepy. And then you've got Dark Shines that just comes right back in with a punch to the face. How long is this record? Like time? Uh, it's like fifty minutes. That's a that's a good length. Yeah, not too long, not too short. For something experimental, it's pretty good. You know. You don't want yeah. 80 minutes of just, you know, avant-garde, mid-child, mm-hmm. mid-section, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, just it's it's a it is an it's an exhilarating record. It really is. Yeah, from what we've it's heard. a it's an album that will give you a rush as you're listening to it because it's so much adrenaline, it's so much energy. It's it's really a unique sounding record. I've ne- I've really never heard even the Rain and Blood comparison doesn't quite do it justice. I've yeah. never heard a record like this before. Man, it's almost experimental in the way that it pushes. But I think that it does it perfectly, and I I I have to say after going through this record, this might be my favorite Muse record now. And I didn't know that before. Even the songs that I used to not like as much have really grown on me. Are they a contender for a pillar spot? Or not quite that high? Mm, Man. I mean, Muse has always been a very deep influence on me. I guess we'll get into this point to talk about first thoughts. Yeah. Um, Muse has been a very integral part of my life for a very long time. Particularly, uh, Dominic Coward as a drummer has been one of my is in my top five as far as drummers that have influenced me the most. 
any time that I want to go work on basics and fundamentals, I I play Muse. Because typically all of his stuff is very simple and straightforward, yet takes an incredible amount of skill to play correctly. Because you got to make it sound really good. He has a lot of touch. Yes, I when I want to work on the way I'm hitting my snare, or when I want to work on my uh, left foot hi hat rhythm of just like having a beat going, but keeping that left foot constantly tapping on the cymbal, or if I want to work on um, my tom grooves and getting them nice and precise and hitting in right in the middle every time. Uh, that Muse is always what I go to. And his style has become a very integral part of my style. That, is, so, that is a big deal. Yes. That might be close to Pillar. It, it's, it's, they're, they're a band that it's, they're about as close as you can get without being one just they've they have been an incredibly important part of my full growth and journey so definitely nine and i can already even spoil it and say there's really not a way that they can they can grow although i will like i said earlier origin of symmetry has grown in stature for me yeah so grant where do you with Muse. Well, before because, I mean, we had just listened to the this set together before this episode. But before that, I would have probably said that I was at about a six or seven. Um, and you know, I know some of their big songs. I really like Drones. That whole album is great. Reapers is great. Man, that ending breakdown is fantastic. There are just some great muse moments that stick in your head that I've heard and have sat with me for a long time and I really like that and but I just I don't have the back catalog that I think um, you really need to get to an eight and I'm hoping that um, this episode would get me there from what I've heard I think origin of symmetry can take me to an eight if like the promise of these six songs continues throughout that album. Um, which, I mean, Lucas, you're talking a pretty good game. So maybe, maybe it does, <laughs> but um, no, that's, that's kind of where I stand in that. I don't necessarily respect the guys as much, not that I disrespect them as musicians, but I don't, I don't respect as much their talent in playing the music as much as I respect their talent in, you know, conjuring up the music out of thin air right as composing the music and it's yeah it's just the things that they come up with it's kind of like how when you talked about um gates of babylon and the real uh the the reason that that was my favorite dio song was because you know there's no reason why you can't do that right Uh. and it works it's kind of like the same thing with the muse songs that i know it's like there's no reason why you can't just put you know, a breakdown with here come the drones through a tube screamer and it sounds pretty good. So do it. You know, there's no reason why you can't do that. Um, Chopin piece after, you know, essentially kind of a rock song. It sounds great. 
you know? So it's that really great thing that I love about what Prague really is, you know, and you can't, you can't really put a box around Prague and that's really nice. And you can't really put a box around Prague bands and I'm struggling to put a box around Muse and I think that's great. And that, that makes me more curious. That doesn't discourage me at all. That makes me more curious into what their music really is. So that's kind of where I am. I'm at a curious six or seven. Ethan, it's your turn. I think I'm at a seven or an eight. And that's just because, which probably means that I'm a, I think the only reason that I'm not a nine is because I don't know a lot of the discography. Like I had never listened to this album before today. Um, but going and seeing them live and, and, you know, the second law tour and that whole album and, you know, drones and stuff like I'd kept up. So I'd say I like most of those songs. And so that probably puts me at a seven, but um, what keeps you from moving to an eight is just your knowledge of the catalog, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. uh, maybe after today, after talking about the songs, it would be really easy to move me to an eight um, in terms of my respect for them is already really, really high. I've just never, um, again, with like rock music, it's not like my go-to genre. So it's like, I don't have like a playlist where it's just like all the rock songs that I like are on this playlist, you know, even though I have respect for rock, but so Muse is one of those bands where it's like, anytime that they come on, I'm like, yeah, but I kind of forget about them because I just don't ever listen to music that ever like has them pop up. But in terms of their discography that I like, I'd probably put myself at a hard seven. All right. That's a pretty good place to be. Yeah. We're all starting at pretty defined places. Yeah, we've all had a lot of experience with this band. It's kind of rare. All right, well, I think that we will take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the six songs from Origin of Symmetry that we have picked out. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just finished talking about Muse and their landmark Origin of Symmetry album. And now it's time to get into our second segment of the show, the six song segment. If you want to listen to these songs, which you should, go into the link in the description where we have the link to the Spotify playlist, which has both these songs and all of the songs of all the previous episodes. And now it's time to get into the songs for this episode. So we're going to kick it right off with the first song on the album newborn yes newborn this was the first song i heard off the album not because i turned on the record but because i had heard it on a a live dvd of there and i was just like oh what is song and so i just i looked up that song by itself on itunes back back in the days of where you just buy songs (laughs) before streaming um and had bought it and was just and it qu- quickly became one of my all-time favorite muse songs and it was quite a long time after that when i actually listened through the whole <laughs> and um 
they didn't write this song to be the intro to the record, but they said that when they listened back through it, that this was the song that popped out. There was just like, we got to open the album with this. That it'll be a perfect way to kind of start things off. It frames the album really nice because I, it doesn't get super heavy. In this. No. Like, it's, it's, it's a nice, like, kind of low ball intro to what you're about to experience. Right. It really ramps it up, too. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't start off kind of the way that maybe a heavier album like Rain and Blood or a uh, better example like Great Southern Trend Kill. Like start off oh, yeah. heavy like, you know. It it takes a good, you know, two and a half, three minutes before we really get into this song, which I think is a good thing. And then dang, whenever that guitar comes in, it comes in. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that introduces you right there to the origin of Symmetry Sound. Yeah, you get a... The, it, the, it does a good job without overwhelming you. It introduces you to the soundscape. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like once once that riff hits and the band comes in, you know exactly what kind of record you yeah. just... Without drowning you in it. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. it does later. It does later, but this is just the dip in the toes in the water. Mm-hmm. It's, His it's... vocal performance on this is good. Yeah. <laughs> His vocal performance is awesome. I think the other thing is the amount of lines that are in this that are like distinguishable in terms of sections is impressive. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of writing to do like, let's write a bass line and let's write a cool guitar part and vocal melodies for like every distinct section. And that that's a theme throughout the whole record and pretty much all of Muse's writing. Yes. They never really skimp on like, Oh, for this verse, we're going to break it down and do something really simple. Like they always have something going on. Mm-hmm. There's always something great on the bass going on for sure. Right. And and even if it's like simpler, it's not, you know, I mean there's some parts there's always of the movement. Set. Yeah, there's always movement. It's it's there's some parts of the set where it goes to like a lower section, you know? Yeah. But it that doesn't mean that we're now kind of in a I guess. Yeah, they didn't do it part. because they were lazy with the part. They did it to move the song in a certain direction. No, and, and it it there's like an emotional weight that goes with it too. It's not just like, oh hey, this would be great for like a low section. It's like the emotion of the song dictates that we should go to the low section. And it it's great. I think it's also we also need to point out the their really incredible use of halftime. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That is you true. In every song. There's so many great halftime moments in this album. Yeah. Yeah, I think Lucas, it, we're on this song talking about it, listening to it together, and you're like, this whole album is full of halftime moments, and every single one of them is great. So, what is Newborn about? Like, what's, what are the lyrics? So, uh, really, if you wanted to get really meta with whether this is a concept record or not, really, you could say that all records are concept records. There's always underlying themes yeah. that subconsciously the author and the writers are dealing with um a lot of this record is dealing with the fact that muse the guys in muse have entered a new world because once they made showbiz and finally became a proper touring group and had made their made an album had gained fans had traveled to the united states and it was almost like they had to leave a life, a simpler life behind them. 
mm-hmm. you know, a life of just being able to go out and hang out with your friends and go to school and and do the things that normal people do. And Matt Bellamy has said that he felt that there was a loss of innocence right before the recording of Origin of Symmetry. That it was just like they all of a sudden had to become adults. And they were, again, still like, you know, late teens, early 20s, which for most people, they're still in college. They're still trying to figure out what they want to be, what they want to do. And now Muse has become this, you know, this big time rock and roll group. And so all sense of normalcy in their life has completely uh, left. And so you can feel this yearning of wanting to return and the fear of what's going to come next. And this is it's really where you see a lot of his the themes that he would use throughout his career of government conspiracy and the fear of technology and the dehumanization of the masses. Origin of Symmetry, you can really see all the seeds of those lyrical themes being sown. Newborn, in particular, is Matt Bellamy has said that it's about his fear of technology and about how it is the newborn, that it is the child that is going to exponentially grow until we can't control it. That right now it's still in its infancy. And at the time, in 2001, the internet computers had not really dominated our lives as they do now. If really anything, this song was almost prophetic. Yeah. Um, And just about how, um, yeah, the computers and the internet is going to become this, this terrifying creature that we don't we don't understand yet what it's fully capable of and we're giving it all of its all of this power we still see it as a child as a baby as a harmless baby but his warning is that it's going to grow faster you're swelling up you're unstoppable mm. i think the song captures the emotion of that really well then mm-hmm and he's in his 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 order in the chorus is destroy the spineless, show me it's real. Hmm. And so just about how it's going to absorb us into itself and make us like it. Where we become computers. We become mindless machines. Wow. That's a happy note. Yeah. <laughs> no typical music stuff. Yeah, it's true, it's true. Um but yeah, this this song just man, it just it it rocks grooves. I love the guitar solo. Um Ethan had a had a term that he used for it earlier. He called it dinky. Oh yeah. <laughs> I did. I think it's mainly because it's just like a trio. And so whenever he went to go play that really high guitar line, like a lot of the body of the song went away. And so it just sounded like it was like really big. And it's like, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a, that's kind of a muse ism is that every time he goes to the solo, it's usually very fast. So he can kind of fill the interesting. There's a lot of tremolo picking. 
but at the same time, it's still, it keeps that melody going. Reapers is a great example of that, I think. Yeah. In that it's, it's very fast, but you're right. You lose a lot of body, and that's just one of the limitations of having three guys. Yeah. I think they make it work, personally. I love that flow. I'm, it's, I, I, I always rock out every time that it comes on. I especially love just the, the like, the noise chugs. It's like it's building up to it. And and then yeah, we get we get a glorious halftime moment at the very end of the song. It keeps doing that that main riff, and then the last time it does it, it switches over to the halftime. And, yeah. Oh yeah, it's just it's it's brilliant. And then you've got that you've got that creepy, uh, kind of like, vocoder outro where the vocals are distorting and you can you can feel the machineness of it. Yeah. It's almost like everyone's turning into robots kind of almost like they're trying to sync together. So well on that move on to so from that, I decided to keep the natural order of the of the of the album progression and go straight into the second song of the album with Bliss. So Bliss is quite a difference. Yeah, sounds like you slowed down a little bit. It does. This is and it's and it's the only calm we'll get for quite a while instead from this point. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of almost wanted to trick you guys. <laughs> thinking, oh, you know, we're gonna have some nice varied sound, and you know, and really, this was the first major use of synthesizer by Muse in the group. There, there's really not any synthesizer on the first record, and that they said they actually came up with this our uh, this arpeggiated line um, by messing around live that they were doing a live show and just doing like a free form jam section and and Matt was pressing some buttons on the synth and and hit this program and hit it and it started doing that and he was just like ooh that's a great idea i need to remember that for something later and good thing he did and that ended up fine of bliss that's pretty awesome that uh, cool. that synth really holds that song together. It's the theme of the song. Mm-hmm. The guitars are a lot cleaner on the song. Like that's just the soundscape is is not as muddy as um, the first song. Yeah. So it's 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 less of a hard rock song. Although there are some very um, there's some very dark moments on it. I mean, you look at the lyrics. And the whole song is about wanting to suck the happiness out of someone oh my dang give give me all of the bliss and the joy in your mind they they did an opeth and named it deliverance and talked about damnation (laughs) yeah it's just yeah it's about someone that has no happiness and he wants he sees someone that has all the happiness that they want and he is is so desperate for it that he wants to take it by force. Hmm. Okay. 
And so, yeah, it's 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 quite dark. And just, again, it's this whole idea you can you can tie it into this theme of of lost innocence of someone that sees that has now been jaded by life, perhaps muse already at this young point realizing that maybe the music industry isn't all what it's cracked up to be and see someone that's living their normal life and it's just like I want that give it to me I you know give it to me willingly if you if you want but I, I'll take it by force if I need to this is kind of a dark album oh it's a it's quite a dark album and really with that album cover it almost turns disturbing oh yes this this that's again this is another reason why it's like if you're getting into muse for the first time don't go to origin of symmetry because <laughs> it's not it's not going to make you feel happy yeah but once you understand what muse is and what muse is capable of doing does any muse make you feel happy yeah i mean listen to something like starlight yeah or knights of Sidon. yeah starlight's a great one um or uh like uh, even something like time is running out. It's not like you could say an optimistic message, but it's like you you when you're done listening to it, you're just like, yeah, that's awesome. You've got a smile on your face. Um, bliss. It's just you listen to it, and you're kind of more of just like, whoa, what did I just hear? Yeah. And so I think that it's it makes that that synth line. It's it's. It's darkly happy. Like you don't hear it and go, oh, that's a sinister sounding line. But at the same time, it's not like bright pop. It's it's mm. almost kind of mournful sad. Yeah. I agree with that. So it does a very good job of uh of having the music match what's going on lyrically. Yeah. Just... So what did you what did you guys think about this song? I I obviously I thought it was like it's kind of the uh when you're getting in a pool and you're trying to test the the waters. It's like newborn is when you put your feet in and you're like, ah, oh, it's too cold, and you take your feet out. And then when your feet are out, it's like bliss. And you think that the rest of the album is just going to be like, I don't know, that's kind of what I thought because we listened through it, right? And I thought that um, Newborn was going to be the kind of jolt you in different directions song, and then the rest of the album was going to be like bliss. And obviously it wasn't. But I think Bliss is kind of that oasis before you really get into it. Mm -hmm. And even though it still kind of keeps that same dark energy, you know, not to get all weird voodoo-y on you, dark energy, but it it isn't it isn't the full-on you know Dillinger escape plan type stuff that we get to <laughs> later, you know? Yeah. So I, I didn't think that it was particularly – because, I mean, we have so many great notable things coming up later. I didn't think this one was particularly um, uh, notable. I don't want to say that in a bad way, but you know what I mean. This is a song that definitely, for me, grew on me the more I listened to it. 
and has now become one of my favorite songs on the album. Really? I guess yeah. I'll just have to listen to it more. I think it's I mean, a weird... Yeah, probably from the, from an album standpoint, Bliss probably actually stands as an outlier on the album. It really be- does. Because of the, you know, like, we're about to get into some other, like, a lot heavier stuff that, yeah. that the muse muse, you know? But Bliss kind of seems like the bright spot on the album where it's just like, oh, it's like, it's like comparatively Bliss is like a breath of fresh air to the album, you know? And so like you come to listen to it like endearingly because, you know, it's, it's not as harsh. Like the guitars are very clear, you know? Yeah. And audible and the vocal line is really good. And, you know, it's just a good song. Yeah. No gimmicks. Yeah. Well, from here, we're going to move into some really uh, where we get into territory. <laughs> we're going to get into micro cuts. So we actually jump around in the album at this point. Yes. Now we jump actually pretty far into the record at this point, into the back half. Wow. Um, this was the hardest part of the set sequence because it was like what – what what song do I put here? Because it's like you have this this almost this calming moment from the beginning of Bliss or from the end of Bliss, and it's like we we need to start ramping things up at this point. And I I had thought about maybe doing hyper music here just as a way of just going okay I'm pushing you off the cliff yeah. But um, micro cuts felt pretty right. Mm. It's it's still got that that kind of atmospheric beginning mm. with with that with that guitar line. The it's very washy sounding. You've got mm-hmm. you've got the drum beat that comes in. That's that's very plodding and almost menacing sounding. Yeah, the time signature changes. Uh huh. That really disorients you, and then the vocals come in, and it's just and it's all falsetto and very distorted, and you're just like, "What is happening?" Yeah, it's it's very disorienting. It was very 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 disordered. I think I made a note of that because Muse does that a lot, where Matt Bellamy's voice will go through some distortion, right? But like, there's a lot on this one. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Oh, man. It is awesome. Oh man, no doubt about it. I think that that that's become something that they use very well. You know, but it's that doesn't mean it's not a lot. <laughs> yeah, and then that that chorus comes in. Yeah, and I <laughs> until I looked up the lyrics, I I never had an idea, a single idea of a single word that he said on this song. The chorus says, I've seen what you're doing to me, destroying puppet strings to our souls. Oh. Microwaves microwaves me insane. A blade cuts in your brain. Sounds like forks on a plate, blackboard scratched with hate. Dang. Yep. So pretty much... Like so was... it's another it's it's another one of their government is secretly brainwashing you songs. Ah, uh, 
tell you got a little black Yeah, Matt Bellamy said he had a uh, a hallucination where he felt that uh, government agents were inserting invisible cuts into the back of his head so they could start programming. Maybe he's one of the only people in society who still remembers that event, you know? Maybe. (laughs) But... That's kind of scary. Yeah. I mean, so maybe you've already mentioned this, but are drugs involved in this? Um, I think that they had done like, like light drugs at the beginning of their career, but then okay, they... so it wasn't like the big hallucinogenic stuff. No, okay. like I'm, I'm sure they might have popped acid a couple times, or and I'm sure smoked their fair share of marijuana. But I'm pretty sure that they're very straight laced now. Okay, that's uh, my first thought as soon as he, you have that kind of hallucination. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that's the, that's, that's what microcuts is saying. Cause yeah, you could, you will never be able to discern any of the words just listening yeah. to it because it's just, it's so distorted. Yeah. But yeah. Let's talk about that chorus. It's amazing. When he hits those high notes, it reverberates into the bottom of your soul. <laughs> that's just true on any muse song. Yeah, but I think right. that that might be his most earth-shattering note. Yeah. Because it's it's not just that it's so high. It's so powerful. Mm-hmm. He's using so much volume and so much force. Like it's it's essentially it's an opera note. Yeah, it is full on opera. And I mean, good god. It's just, it's the kind of note that you hit and you're just asserting your dominance. <laughs> and that chord progression is like power. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the, with the um, harmonic minor. I don't know if they do the harmonic minor here. They definitely did it in Newborn. And that's something that, that's another musism that's really, really nice. And speaking of power, how about that outro guitar riff? Oh yeah, dude. Well, seems like all these songs just have so many great riffs in them. Yeah, it it plays out like a Sabbath album. This is their most riff-heavy record, as far as just like just the number of riffs that they just pull out, and just like here's a great riff, here's a great riff, here's a great riff. You get a riff, you get a riff. And the great thing is they put all the riffs in just the perfect context too. So mm-hmm. if you, you kind of take them out of their context, it's like it's a it's an okay riff, but when they put it in that right context, mm-hmm. you know that's something that we talked about way back when we talked about between the buried and me, that it's it's they have some, for lack of a better term, mediocre sounding riffs, but they know how to just accent the right things and put the right beat behind it and introduce it perfectly, that it it sounds so much more than just the notes that make it up. Mm-hmm. Muse is very good at that. Yeah. It's crazy that they saved that riff till the very end and didn't just write a completely new song with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's like they knew that they needed it to go there. Cause it's just like, you get to that build and it's just like, where do you, where else do you take this song? Yeah. You just take it to a, 
hardcore metal riff. That's what you do. And and then yeah, you want to talk about an incredible use of halftime. Yeah, it's disgusting. <laughs> and you were commenting, Ethan, about just those hits that they do at the end. Yeah, it's just, it just catches you so off guard. And you're just like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's it's not quite in time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's just, but they're they're so tight. Yeah. Like this is like this is their second album, but they sound like they've been playing together for a while. Yeah. They've been playing together about like what, seven years at that point? Okay, so that makes sense then. Yeah. And they just they're just they're a band that cares about the rhythm. Evidently so. And so yeah, from this point, we're just we just keep the uh the throttle all the way down with plug in baby. Now this one we we were listening to it all together and kind of reacting together. I kind of faded out at this point in the set because of that really strong chorus. Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, not talking about how the song intros, but like that it just kind of washes over you and you just kind of forget that you exist. You know what I mean? Oh, mm-hmm. it was just a good moment. That that was the first moment of this set that really took the reins. I'm, I talk about this a lot. Well, maybe not too much, but about how I like my music to grab my attention. Mm-hmm. And this really did it. And that I kind of had a little bit of an epiphany going, man, this is just, this is... This is a force to be reckoned with as far as stuff that I need to listen to. Mm-hmm. I feel like this song and Bliss have a lot in common. Really? Just yeah. Kind of I can see that. The composition of it. What do you mean by that? Where, like, the, where you've, got the, you've got the calmer verses and the big choruses. Uh, but the, but the yeah. verses are still like more major and they're not as, not as necessarily like riff-heavy. Like they let the they let the vocal line carry it. Mm-hmm. The guitars True. aren't as super heavy, even on the line. It's like, you know, it's not a heavy song, right? <laughs> kind of well, is, though. Well, yeah. it's not it's not fast heavy, but it's emotionally heavy. When that when the full when the band comes in the first time on this song, it's literally a slap in the face. It hits you so yeah, but but it's not like micro cuts. It's not dark. It's like... heavy, but it's not dark heavy. This is the kind of heavy that like makes you amped up. Yeah, like this is even, as heavy as this song is. If this is the kind of song that puts a smile on your face as you're listening to it, because it's yeah. so anthemic. So what's it about? I think that the plug-in baby is his guitar. <laughs> I think that um, it's it's his tool for revolutionizing and changing his world. My plug-in baby crucifies my enemies when I'm tired of giving. <laughs> I mean, this is a song that people have had different interpretations of, but that's the one that I like the most. Yeah, I can uh, imagine. 
So I, I'm pretty sure that that's what he's singing about. Yeah. Yeah. My plug-in baby in Unbroken Virgin Realities is tired of living. I mean, I don't really know what that means. It's, 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 it's almost like it's also like those are words kind of yes style where it's just like they just yeah. sound really cool when you put those words together. Does it really mean something deep? Maybe. Oof. If not, I kind of don't care because it just it's fun to sing along to. And it's still good music at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That I think that that plug in baby probably has the best ever muse chorus. Yeah. Yeah, it's really like, good. I was that. thinking and I I that idea came to my head and I thought, well let me challenge this. Let's let's go back and look at some other great muse choruses. And when Knights I was looking, right. and I was looking back and I was just like, Well, I mean Knights of Sidonia doesn't really have a chorus. Um Okay. <laughs> Yes, it does. That's not really... I don't really call it a chorus. All right, okay. Well... Hysteria's got a pretty great chorus. Um, Panic Station... running out? Yeah. Time's running out. Panic Station's got a great chorus. But it was just... I looked and I was just like, none of them are as good as Plug-In Baby. That just... That chorus just reigns supreme. And it's just one that... And I've... And I've felt it live because they, they didn't play it on the second law show, but they played it at the first one that I went to. And it was just like, that was a moment when the entire audience just like belted it out. Wow. It just lends itself to that kind of connection. Yep. And then that guitar riff is just, it's, yeah, it's, it works so well. Everything about this song, it's it it gets in and gets out pretty quickly. Like there's no, it always ends before you think it will, mm. because it doesn't go to like this big instrumental section. There's no guitar solo. It's really two verses, two choruses, outro, done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't waste any time. It's nice to have the kind of like little simple songs like that, though. Yeah. Especially on an album like this. It's it's the way that you can keep your album super heavy and super driving without it feeling exhausting. Had they put another minute onto this song, you could have started oh, at this yeah. point in the album to feel, oh my god, I can't, I don't, I can't do this. Yeah, I agree 100%. And it really tees up the next song. Which does come after it on the record, which is Citizen Erased. Oof. You want to talk about an, a big epic song? This is the one. Yeah. It's, this is the seven minute song. It's the longest song on the album. It's one of the longest songs they've ever made, period. And. We're talking, it's very Joe Morello, very Rage Against the Machine. Dude. Did you just say Joe Morello? Or Tom Morello. Tom sorry, Morello. Joe Morello. It's Joe okay. Morello it's is, okay. Um, he doesn't know any better. You know? Joe Morello <laughs> is the drummer for um, Dave Brubeck. Yes. Sorry. He got the last name right. We'll give it to him. <laughs> but yeah, and, and even, even on the other end of things, it's very Opeth in that it it has that kind of heavy section at the beginning mm-hmm. and then it steps back for a little bit to to really develop that mood yeah you know? and kind of we talked about earlier about those low sections about how even though there's 
maybe uh, less technically going on, there's still a lot of movement. And there's still a lot of things for your ear to pick up on. Even though things aren't necessarily fast or technical, it's still interesting. And that's that. This was like right after Plugin Baby. This was so good to listen to because it was another type of good moment. And and it continues throughout the song, of course. Yeah, I mean, so you you start off with just the most wacky riff. I still can't ever. I still can't get over how. Yeah, I, just insane the riff is because there's no notes to it it's all noise yeah it's it's like i don't know really how you even play this riff how he came up with it and why it's so awesome yeah it like the rhythm's so simple it sounds like he's just playing harmonics you know it's like you could come up with this in your room on your 10 watt amp turned all the way to 11 but the fact that he did come up with it it's like anyone could play it if they had the right you know effects Mm -hmm. but it's just so simple to dream it though yeah it's just like you had to come up with it though it's it's like you know the iron man riff is so simple but somebody had to come up with it Mm mm-hmm and that down moment, like you put all that energy into that upbeat part, and then to just kind of break it down with that, like, I mean, it's pretty much just a Rhodes and drums and bass. Yeah. Oh man, it was a good. That was a good time. That down section. Yeah, it, it's. Actually, you say it like it was so long ago that we listened to it. It, it is. Oh, no, back whenever we listened. Back, to, back in the good old days when we were listening to this together. Okay. Remember whenever we didn't know this and we were listening to it? For the first time? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, at this point in the set, you need this these the two chill moments that this song brings. Because when it's not down, it is a... I mean, it is furious sounding. It's the There's so much happening, to quote... <laughs> um, uh, Rick McCollum from the Star Wars prequels. It's so dense. Every f- single frame has so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, I mean, just every square inch of audio space is being overstuffed. But again, just it works. But I think that this song works because it has that juxtaposition of those mm-hmm. calm moments. If it had been seven minutes of noise, just again, the balance would have been uh, would have been broken. And that's what I'm finding is so brilliant about this record in general is they it's at the exact right moments they know when to pull away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. What is the song about? Um it's more government conspiracy, pretty much just about um about the loss of freedom and the loss of innocence. This one is very directly about loss of innocence. Break me in, teach us to cheat and to lie and cover up what shouldn't be shared. And the truth's unwinding, scraping away at my mind. Please stop asking me to describe. Wow. Okay. For one moment, I wish you'd hold your stage with no feelings at all. Open-minded, I'm sure I used to be so free. 
So, so I mean, that's I feel like that's pretty uh, um, self-explanatory. Pretty much the whole idea is that he wants to have all of these um, hateful and propaganda um, perpetuating thoughts and identity erased so he can reclaim the true self. The outro being wash me away, clean your body of me, erase all the memories. They'll only bring us pain and I've seen all I've ever need. All I'll ever need. Hmm. The song does a really good job with that dichotomy of tension and release. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it really does. So, yeah. This, if ever you're wondering, what could this Muse song be about? Just think government conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, we did talk about Tom Morello. It is kind of Rage Against the Machine in that way. Yeah, you can definitely feel the influence. Uh, but yeah, this this song just I feel like is perfectly paced. That's true, and like even being one of the longer songs that we really we do on the podcast, you know, mm-hmm. it's just it stays interesting. It's it's we talked about um, newborn and how we were like two and a half three minutes in, and it's like oh my gosh. We're two and a half, three minutes in. We've done all this stuff. And then I can't remember which one. It must have been Microcuts. And it was like, gosh, we're already three minutes in. It's been so interesting. Citizen Erased is like seven and a half. And there's it takes you in many different places. And, and like Ethan said, there's that dichotomy there that they like to juxtapose, you know, this section with this very different feeling section and and yeah, and I, I like how they like they just end it down. Yeah, like, they're, they're not like oh, big section, little section, section, big section in the middle again, little section, and then we're gonna end it big. You know, they're like, nope, we're gonna end it down. No, I think I think that Muse is very good about keeping things unexpected and how they're gonna end it. You know, I keep going back to United States of Eurasia, but you know, yeah. I just have to mention it. I won't explain it anymore. <laughs> Speaking of ending songs. Speaking of, yes. Yes, we've got our final, our big finale here. Uh, Space Dementia. So this is actually the third on the record, you said. Yes, it is. Which is ridiculous because... <laughs> it has. So such... it literally goes newborn bliss space dementia. Yeah. So yeah, imagine just the the nice peaceful ending of Bliss going right into the haunting the haunting uh, kind of, opening kind of, of space dementia. Haunting is is the word. Haunting is the word to use to describe the really reverby piano. The first is. time that I listened through this record, I I I had heard Newborn many 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 times. Bliss I heard, and I was just like, "Oh, this is really interesting." Then Space Dementia came on, and I was, and that was like, I, I stopped the record after that and just kind of sat yeah. for it, and it was just oh, like, no. "What? What did I just listen to?" That's always a nice feeling. And so it's it's crazy because all these other songs have pretty like long intros, but this one does not. 
No, like, like, I mean, yeah, like, it's, there's Piano, and then his vocal is, like, the second thing in, and it's, like, right there on it. And it adds to that, because you, it's almost like you're not, that's something you shouldn't do. Yeah. And it's just, it adds to the, to the, the freakiness of it. Yeah, he, like, doesn't really introduce, a lot of times, like, you set up a song mentally to where you know that the you kind of know what the song is going to give you, but this is just like weird piano thing. And then drum build right into his pickup notes for that first verse. Mm-hmm. And it is unsettling. Cause it's just like, and his first words are, you make me sick. <laughs> and you're just like, what are you talking about? What is this about? Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, I, I heard the words. I'm, I remember hearing the words, but I'm just going, Oh, Oh, what's he doing? <laughs> what's, what's happening <laughs> in the song? And then, but and, then the choruses seem so. I think whenever we were listening to it earlier, I said like kind of space circusy. Yeah. So the whole the whole point of this song, um, the whole idea, space dementia is a real mental illness that astronauts can get when they've been in space too long, and they lose their grip on reality and on Earth, and they start to go insane. Hmm. That's and so comforting. And so the um, the the comparison is you have someone, you know how when you are in a good relationship, she's like, she makes me feel like I'm not on earth. Yeah. Or she makes me feel like I'm up in the clouds. Mm-hmm. This becomes a bad thing because she's had him off of earth for so long that he's developed space dementia. So he doesn't know how to cope with reality now that no. the relationship is over. And, and he's become darkly obsessed with her because she makes him feel great. She makes him feel like he's out of this world. So he has like a depend like a like a sick mm-hmm. dependence on her. You make me sick because I adore you so. I love all the dirty tricks and the twisted games you play on me. Oh my gosh, it's making sense now. You, you'll you make us want to die. I'd cut your name in my heart. We'll destroy this world for you. I know you want me to feel your pain. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, such a dark love story. And again, it's just, it's all about this, it's about this departure from what's real. Yeah. And, um, you'll have to pardon me, my, one of my dogs is not behaving. <laughs> but we'll leave it in. It's raw. It's uncut. Um, so, yeah, it just, the and the whole thing, and like, you've got those moments, like, when, Everything cuts out and it just goes to the like almost like a little kid just like banging on the piano, just going da 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 and yeah. then and then it does that walk down and it's just ooh, and then then you've got the huge section at the end. Yeah. That just puts huge. it over the top. Yeah. You've you've got the massive half one last great halftime groove. And then you have the big trash can and it it literally sounds like you're receiving a broadcast transmission from hell. Yeah. Yeah, it's freaky. That that was a little bit 
unsettling. A little bit. Um, uh, yeah, there's no better word to describe it. It was just kind of uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, and so then, yeah, when that song was over, the first time I heard it, I just, I just paused my, I paused, took my headphones out, and I was just like, okay, because it was like really late at night. I was like playing video games. I just decided I'm going to listen to this record. And I like kind of had to stop for a little bit because I was like, okay, okay. Just ponder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just had to, it was like, I, I was terrified by it, but I loved it at the same time. Yeah. You know, that just, again, it's that feeling you get like when you watch like a great horror movie, you, yeah. it's, it's making you feel terrible inside, but at the same time, it's so thrilling. Gosh, yeah. Um, it's uh, it's like the ending of scenes from a memory. Yeah, where it's just like I listened to that late at night, and like the lights were even on when I was listening to it, and I still was like freaked out a little bit because you weren't expecting it. You know? Yeah, I I heard that ending when at night for the first time also. Yeah, I I tend to listen to um a different kind of unsettling during the night. I listen to typo negative late at night. This is my typo negative reference of the month. You know, I gotta, I gotta fit that in every month, but, and because it just, it's more, um, kind of late night, almost ambient music. It doesn't really freak you out. Mm -hmm. And I think it fits that aesthetic, but like some of, some of that really creepy stuff, like space dementia, you know, finally free. Just, Ooh. <laughs> like, in death know. is death yeah yes oh yes forgot about that yeah Ooh, yes. that was a, that was a that was a song yes. i never heard for the first time in the middle of the night oh the whole catch 33 saga is just a, another level of just oof or the ending of um chaos sphere oh yeah yeah uh thick but yeah, we could we can talk about creepy Meshuga moments for a while. Yes, we could. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah. Yeah. It was it was very interesting to try and make one out of just one record. It seemed like it came together pretty flawlessly, from my opinion at least. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. to also try and do it in a way to where you're not just copying what the album did. Yeah. It helps that um there's a wide range of good moments yes that it's not like you're trying to make it how do i say this it's kind of like how artists when they're in a certain part of their career they tend to write a certain type of song mm-hmm. this, didn't, this didn't seem like it was the case that they they still muse still kept the reins off of the music and just let it be what it is which is nice yeah Well, I think we'll go ahead and take another break here. When we come back, we're going to give our final thoughts about Muse and about Origin of Symmetry. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Ethan. Welcome back to the Good Music Podcast. We just got done listening to our six-song set from Muse in the Origin of Symmetry album. Our order was Newborn, Bliss, Microcuts, Plug-In Baby, Citizen Erased, and Space Dimension. Now it's time for final thoughts. 
like in the beginning of the episode, we give a ranking. Uh, now, after we've talked and listened to the songs and gotten some context, uh, now it's time to give our new ranking plus our favorite song. So, Grant, uh, what are your final thoughts about Muse and Origin of Symmetry? Man, okay. So, like I said, I don't know if I can really take myself to an eight if I haven't gotten the whole mm-hmm. back catalog of Origin of Symmetry, but I've definitely solidified my position at at least seven. Very strong seven. Usually I'll end the episode saying I'm at a seven because, you know, all six songs of that band I like. Yeah. There are more, there are certainly more than six Muse songs that I like. I mean, most of Drones is really good. Um, uh, what is it? Black Holes and Revelations. There's some really good songs off of that. Um, the songs here, all of them are great, right? Even though I say, you know, Bliss isn't notable, it's just being overshadowed by the greatness <laughs> yes. of the other songs, right? Doesn't mean that it's a bad song at all. And I. think it's very cool to look at we talked about this i think a little bit in the in the dio episode it's it's cool to see um, a band's early work because they don't really know the rules yet you know they're not trying to copy the big hit of the previous album and i think that origin of symmetry is that sweet spot for muse where they figured out how to write music very well that they haven't quite put their put the filters on and really let the music be what it is. And I think that's great. So I'm listening to this, you know, all the way through, probably not in the middle of the night. Favorite song? What is that's a great question. It's either well, it's one of the last three. It's one of the last three, and I'm really strongly leaning towards Citizen Erased. Is either that or Space Dementia, just because they both had uh, good emotional moments. And that's, that's very important, even when you're doing this hard rock stuff. So. But which one? Citizen Race. I'm going to say that I went from a six to a seven, because even now, pretty much. If I can listen through this stuff and everything else that I've listened from music I like, I think I could say that I'm a I've solidified as a seven. Um, I would say I'm I'm torn between Citizen Erased and Microcuts, but I would probably also have to go with Citizen Erased just because that freaking riff is just incredible and the song pacing is incredible and it's it was cool to see muse is like or like the first album where like they, they were muse like they were the muse that we know now and so i think citizen erased is like you know on the ranked playlist if there if there is one with this on it then i would say that the citizen erased would probably be the the highest rank that would where people my best were going to be placed. All right. Um, my favorite, I mean, it's just, it's hard to beat newborn for me just because of how long yeah. it's 
a favorite of mine. If I had to say the one that has grown on me the most, I think it would have to be Plug In Baby. It's just good. Plug that, In Baby is really good. The immediacy of that song is just so powerful. And I can give you guys real quick the where they fall mm-hmm. on the right playlist. Yes. Harry's pick? Harry's pick is Bliss. Really? That's awesome. He loves the pretty piano part at the beginning. Yeah, it is nice. And it makes him fall asleep just about every time. Oh, that's awesome. It's peaceful to him, I guess. Puts him in bliss. Um, I had Micro Cuts at number 31. Okay. Bliss at 26. Space Dementia at 17. Citizen Erased at 15, Plug-In Baby at number 4, and Newborn at number 2. Wow. Newborn at number 2? Yeah. Alright. It's your list. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's, that's where everything falls. I can also, real quick, run through the songs from the first episode. Knights of Sidonia is number 1. Yeah, that's a good one. Hysteria is number three. Reapers is number five. United States of Eurasia is number six. Supremacy is number eight. Ooh, yeah. And Time is Running Out is 22. Oh, wow. It's a strong top 20. Yeah, it's, it it's, really is. If, yeah, I was about to say. You still got stuff like Uprising and Unnatural Selection and Panic Station and Butterflies and Hurricanes and The Globalist. And how, how many uh, how many songs are on the right playlist? Um, there are. I'm guessing around like 150. 131. I was close, but not too bad. And yeah. I, I was able to get the entire discography. That's a that's a pretty good ratio, though, to have, you know, a super strong top twenty, and probably past that be really a super strong. strong top fifty. Yeah, so there you go. That's already you know a good solid third, really over a third of of stuff. Like you get the you get close to number fifteen, you are still getting stuff like Guiding Light. And the handler, and uh, defector, and blackout survival. All right, you're getting into songs that I don't know. Hyper music, <laughs> apocalypse, please. I mean, I'm not that well versed in music. Well, I figured Ethan might know some of those. Oh, okay, good point. Good point. It's been a long time since I've looked at the catalog. Yeah. But. And then, I mean, just like I said earlier, my my ranking of Muse is not going to go up because it really can't at this point. Yeah, it's about as they're about as high as they can go. I'm always going to love Muse, and I don't think I'll ever outgrow them. So that's our episode. Thank you guys so much. Oh, uh, the one last thing, my wife, uh, Callie's pick. She. <laughs> It's plug in baby, but she called it uh, plug me in baby. 
So I had oh. to had to mention that. <laughs> oh, now now I realize why you were so. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> That's awesome. That's actually pretty funny. Plug me in, baby. <laughs> Um, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. If you are enjoying what you're hearing, make sure you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every week, Monday at midnight. So make sure that you um, check those out next week. We're going to be talking about a modern artist that pretty much everybody knows. Ooh. And Ethan Ethan's going to enjoy this episode immensely. Ooh. I, I don't I don't know Grant how you'll react to it, but maybe uh, maybe you'll change your mind about them if you have a negative opinion. It, it is the good music podcast, so it can't be Limp Biscuit or Nickelback. <laughs> oh, we will never see them on here. <laughs> I'll never say never. I will say never in those instances. <laughs> All right. Um, sorry if you guys are fans of them. Um. Make sure that you hit us up on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. Let us know what artists you want us to cover in the future. And we will take them into consideration. And um, check out both of the links in the description of the episode. One of them takes you to our Spotify playlist that has all the songs from this episode and our previous ones. And the other link will take you to our Patreon page where... We um, will give you early access to episodes as well as our segment called The Bad Music Podcast, where we talk about an artist's worst songs. So if you want to hear us just trash an artist for a good 25, 30 minutes, then you should go check that out. And um, make sure that you leave us a review and subscribe to the channel. And that's it. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. I mean, keep on listening to good music. Yeah.